Well done. Well done. Thank you. Our young friends are at this time dismissed to junior church. It'll be grades one through six. If you have a young person with you that falls into that category of grades one through six, you are always welcome to accompany our children's workers back to the fellowship hall along with them to see what junior church is all about. How many of you love those videos that go around the internet of soldiers, um, seamen, marines, people from the Coast Guard, they, they come home after a long time and they surprise their family and everybody's crying. How many of you have watched those compilations before? Maybe, maybe longer than you intended to, right? Those are, those are wonderful things. But not every homecoming of people after being away in the military is like that. I have uh, a friend of mine, a childhood friend that I grew up with, and it was a great struggle of his getting out of the military. The realities of, of war the challenges of the things that he saw and he participated in. Um, it, it made it very hard for him to adjust when he came back. And one of the hardest things, and he's not alone in this, I think that this is common for many people, and this was a man who was, who was meant to do this. I remember us as children playing out in the woods and we were playing war and we couldn't just play war with sticks and imagine things. We went to World War II surplus military shops and bought flak vests and I mean, it was, it was on a different level with, <laughs> with this young man. One of the hardest things was he had no mission. He had no mission when he got back. And he had no unit of people with which to pursue that mission. That was something that was constant for him when he was in the military. And upon leaving the military, he found himself purposeless. He found himself adrift. And it was a very hard thing. It was a very hard thing. That's a common story I imagine, of most coming back. What is the purpose of your life? What is the purpose of your life? If you had to answer that question, what, what would you say? I think oftentimes there's, there's extremes that we find when that question is asked. First of all, there are people that they don't have a purpose. They don't have a purpose. They're just flowing along. They kind of bounce around from one thing to another. Any of you enjoy pinball? Any of you enjoyed pinball? Maybe, maybe you haven't played it in a minute, but back in the day you enjoyed pinball. Uh, that ball has very little control about what's going on, does it? I mean, very little control. And it's being hit by the paddles. It's being forced around by all of the, the bells and the whistles inside of it. But it has very little control. Some people, they, they live their life that way. They're just bounced from one event to the next, reacting. And then there's other people who have so many goals and have so much energy and effort and striving, that they're always busy, but they find themselves unsatisfied. The next project, the next achievement, the next conquer, whatever it is, they get it, and they don't find themselves satisfied. Can you imagine running for your life? Any of you ever had to run for your life? Like something was chasing you and you ran? How many of you had that experience once? You found new speed, didn't you? Yeah, I was, I was chased by monkeys overseas, and they were big monkeys. Not the kind of monkeys that, that are friendly, it was the unfriendly monkeys. And, and I, I became a marathon runner. It was amazing. But imagine running at that speed on a treadmill. Imagine running at that speed on a treadmill and not making any significant progress in any direction. And you find everything in between these places. Is there, is there peace 
Is there purpose that you and I can have? Because I don't want to live my life at either extreme. I don't imagine that you do too. And perhaps it's just a hard question to answer about what is the purpose of your life. Well, there's an elderly man named Simeon who's learned the answer to this question. And as we look in the scriptures today, we will see Simeon encounter the Christ child in the temple only days after he's been born. And we too will learn this. So it's in Luke chapter 2 this morning that we continue in our series called Peace on Earth. In Luke chapter 2, in verse number 25, in Luke chapter 2, in verse number 25, the Word of God says this, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. Let's pray together. Father, open your word to us in this hour. I pray that you would help us to have an encounter with you. I pray that you would give me the the power and the unction from on high to deliver your word. May nothing get in the way this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Here is a lesser known part of the Christmas story. When we talk about shepherds abiding in the field, watching over their flocks by night, when we talk about angels giving uh, praise, the heavenly host appearing, when we talk about Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus and finding no room in the inn, all of those things are very familiar. But only a few days after Jesus would have been born, we find this event centered around an old man who's been waiting for something his entire life. He's been waiting for something his entire life. Remember who this Christ child is back in... Isaiah chapter 9 and verse number 6. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. This is not just a list of random words thrown together because they didn't know what to call him. All of these are titles. All of these are names. All of these tell us something about who Christ would be. Remember, at the time that Isaiah was writing those words, that was hundreds of years, more than 700 years before the birth of Christ, he knew by prophecy. By the way, that's one of the reasons why I believe the Bible is the word of God, is because it contains fulfilled prophecy that could be explained no other way other than God knew what was to happen. And so this Prince of Peace, this child who's given unto us, is being taken by Mary, by Joseph. By the way, no man had anything to do with the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. No man had anything to do. He was born of Mary and of the working of the Holy Ghost. He is fully God and fully man. And here we see Simeon. We're we're introduced to him in Luke chapter 2 and verse number 25. It says, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. The city of Jerusalem was the city of God. It's where the temple was located, and oftentimes people traveled into Jerusalem for various reasons. How many of you uh, travel back home 
for the holidays? Any of you have a back home? I don't know where your back home might be. How many of you back home is West Virginia? I'm just curious. That was just, that was just throwing that out. Okay, there's a few people. I'm not surprised by any of you raising your hands. Uh, wild and wonderful West Virginia. I get it. How many of you, it's Pennsylvania? Is it Pennsylvania back home for anybody else? A few people, Pennsylvania? We've got family over there, sort of. Okay, I won't say it, but how about that state up north? Anybody have to go in that direction? We'll pray for you. No? Oftentimes, people would have to travel to Jerusalem as though when we make our yearly pilgrimage back to the family homestead, wherever that might be, they oftentimes had to go to Jerusalem because that's where certain ceremonies had to take place. That's where certain gatherings had to happen. And so in the life of a Jewish young man when he was born, it would be common for him to go to the temple and certain ceremonies would be prepared there. And there was no prior knowledge that Mary and Joseph had that this man Simeon even existed that he even existed. It says that he was in Jerusalem. And what we know about this man is that he was just and devout and waiting for the consolation of Israel. Just meaning that he had the right kind of relationship with God. He had the right kind of relationship with God. He was righteous before God, not because he was good, but because God was good. Not because he did everything right and he was perfect, but because God was perfect. He put his faith that a Messiah would come, that a Savior would come to pay for the sins of every man, woman, boy, and girl that's ever lived. And so that's what he was looking towards. When we look back at the cross, we get to know the whole story. We get to know about the babe in the manger. We get to know about the angels and the shepherds. We get to know about all of it because we have the completed word of God. But remember, they were working from the, just the Old Testament at this point. And so they didn't know all of these things. They didn't know the, the blessedness that you and I know by having the scriptures, and they were looking forward to the fulfillment of what God was going to do in order to care for them. And so here he is, a just man, waiting for that. It says not only he was just, but he was devout. He was serious about God. He was passionate about the things of God. You might have heard the word pious, somebody who is excited, who is faithful, who is consistent about holy things. There are, there are some people that will just never understand why you come to church. There are some people that just will never understand why you come to church. They feel like, why would you do that? Why would you wake up early? Why would you spend the effort? Why would you drag your kids around? Why would you get them dressed multiple times to get out the door in the morning, right? Why are you looking for the one shoe for about 20 minutes to put on the foot of your toddler when you'd already put the shoes on them once before in the morning? They don't understand why you do that, why you wouldn't stay out late on Saturday night so that you could be rested and refreshed. They just don't get it because they're not excited one bit about God. They're not excited one, th th one bit about the things of God, about his word. But there are people, and I love when I come across people who are excited about the things of God. I hope you came here this morning because you wanted to hear from God. I hope you just didn't come here because you were worried that if you didn't, the, the preacher would find out and he'd come track you down. I hope you came here because you wanted to meet with the Lord. Listen, if you came to hear me, you wasted your time. You did. Because what do I have to help you? I got my own problems. I was sick as a dog this week and about as, as carnal as a dog as well. Isn't it easy to get mean when you're sick? Isn't that terrible? Man, those of you that deal with chronic illness, God bless you. I, I understand how that can ruin your spirits. And I was only sick for five days. When you and I get excited about the things of God, like Simeon was excited about the things. And listen how excited he's about to get. 
You, you'll see a difference in your life. That's why some people, they just don't get it. They don't get it. It says that he was also waiting for the consolation of Israel a long time ago, back in the garden after mankind sinned. God began making that first promise that he was going to take care of the problem of sin, that he was going to send a deliverer, that he was going to send someone to make right what had been broken, what had been polluted, what had been made wrong. And that is the fulfillment of it is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so thousands of years ago in the Garden of Eden, before uh, they, they understood all about the promise, God made that promise. And as time went on and as they understood more about it and as God revealed more about it, they were waiting for that to happen. They were waiting for God to speak again. It had been a long time since God had spoken up till this point. Hundreds of years of silence, no prophet, no open revelation. And he was waiting because he had been told something. You see, Simeon had the Spirit of God upon him. Now, what does that mean to have the Spirit of God upon him? In the Old Testament, that means you were singled out for something very special. In the Old Testament, that means you were singled out to be one of the heroes of the faith. How many of you know of some Old Testament hero? Give, give, me, give me the name of an Old Testament hero. Who can, who can do that for me? Yes. Moses. Moses. Yes. Who else? Jeremiah. Jeremiah. Who else? Samson, who else? Old Testament hero. Jonah, right? These are all people, when you look at the hero, that in some form or another, we find out that God had a special choosing of them and they weren't just left to figure it out. The spirit of God was put upon them. Samson was able to do things that are unexplainable. I mean, David was able to do things that you just, you couldn't explain. David's mighty men were able to defeat people in battle in ways that no man should have been able to do. The children of Israel, when they went into the, from the wilderness into the promised land, they were winning wars that they shouldn't have been able to win with hardly any casualties. It was, it was unnatural because it was supernatural. And so Simeon had, as we find out here, the spirit of God was upon him and he was waiting for this consolation from Israel. Verse 26, and it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. What was his special calling? He was going to get to see the Messiah. Hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of people, perhaps, great heroes of the faith, they never got to see the Messiah. They never had the opportunity, though the Spirit of God was on him, but on them. But Simeon was going to get to see the Messiah. He was going to get to see God in the flesh, God's Son, and he was promised by the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost was a promise. By the way, he actually heard from God. He heard from God. Now, I don't know the exact form that that took, I don't know if he saw it in a dream, like we see people seeing things in a dream. I don't know if he heard God speak, like Moses heard God speak. I don't know if it was an impression that was put upon him, but it was as real as though he had heard any words. He was a spiritually mature enough person to stop and listen to what God is saying. There are times when I find myself so busy that I have trouble even praying. So busy, there's so much going on. It's like chaos. Have you ever been to Chuck E. Cheese? I want you to imagine doing deep, abiding, thinking work while sitting in a Chuck E. Cheese. You're not going to get much done. It's going to be miserable. That's what the world feels like. That's what the distraction of the world feels like. Here we are trying to to hear what God has to say, but we're, we're so distracted by the lights, the noise, 
the chaos, the people running around and screaming. Hopefully you don't see too many people dressed up like a giant mouse. But we find the distractions of this life and they make it so hard to hear anything that God has to say. When was the last time we, you were alone and in a quiet place? Do any of you hunt? How many of you hunt? There's a few people that hunt, right? Part of the fun of hunting is how quiet it is. Until like a squirrel scares you to death because, you know, messes with your blind. But until that moment happens, how quiet it is. Because it's so hard to find times that are quiet. Even, even just going into a library and being inside of a building and having it be quiet. That's something that's missing. I don't know what Simeon's day-to-day -day life was like, but here's what I do know. He was spiritually aware enough to hear what God had to say. And he not only was hearing it, but he followed what it was that God was asking for him. What was his purpose? He was going to live until he sees the Messiah face to face. It says that he'd see the Lord's Christ. Christ, the Messiah, wasn't man's idea. Adam and Eve didn't say, you know what we need since we've messed all this up? We need some sort of savior. No, God saw the mess that they made and said, you need a savior. Mankind didn't come up with some idea. By the way, if man came up with some idea, some story, man would end up being the hero in it, wouldn't he? Man would be the one who bridges the gap. Man would overcome. Have you ever read the Odyssey or the Iliad, the works of ancient Greece, the works of Rome? Who, who turns out to be the heroes in that? Well, it's people like Hercules and, and, and Odysseus. Odysseus. It's, the, it's the men that overcome. No, our story, we are not actually the hero. We're the criminal and the victim because we did it to ourselves. And God is the one who comes in as the hero. It's the Lord's Christ that he saw. What purpose? Well, he was to see the Lord's Christ. What was his mission? That he would not see death until he ushered in this little babe. Verse 27. It says, And he came by the Spirit into the temple. So on this day, he happens to feel led of the Holy Spirit, recognizing that God was leading him. Simeon, I want you to stop what you're doing in the normal course of your day, and I want you to go to the temple. I want you to go into the temple. And I want you to be there at a certain time, certain circumstances, all work together so you're in the right place. And it says, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law. Look at what happened when God got involved in all the details. It worked out exactly how it was supposed to. Simeon walked in, Mary, Joseph, baby Jesus, just a few days old, walk in and they run into each other. And Simeon sees them and immediately knows who he is. God worked all of that out. Are you worried you're going to miss it? Are you worried you're going to miss what God made you for? Are you worried you're going to end up succeeding at the wrong thing? I want you to know that if you follow the guidance of God, the guidance of the Holy Spirit, if you and I are aware enough to hear and surrendered enough to follow, we're going to find ourselves in the right place at the right time. We're going to find ourselves in the right place at the right time. That's what they did. And then the next verse is a little bit bizarre. Then took he him up in his arms... Now, I had to deal with some unbiblical thinking here. I imagine Jesus in a stroller. I never realized that I thought that 
while this was going on. But every time I imagine Mary and Joseph taking Jesus into the temple, he was in a pram. He was in a stroller. It was one of those little black-looking British ones, right? And that's what I imagine. But they didn't do that. They didn't have those. Where do you think a baby of only a handful of days old, where do you think he was? In his mother's arms. Ladies, how do you feel about strangers touching your newborn babies? little unusual, huh? Especially, what about an old man that you never met before? In the crowded place of the temple, remember the temple was filled with people coming and going, offering sacrifices, making prayers. The priests were doing their ministry. There were animals. There was all sorts of stuff going on. Noise of people singing, noise of instruments being played, all of that going on. It's chaos. And all of a sudden you're sitting there waiting in line to, to sacrifice your pair of turtle doves or whatever they were going to sacrifice. And an old man comes up and takes the baby right out of your arms. That's, that seems a little unusual. But you know what? Simeon was so excited when he saw him, he didn't stop. He didn't stop. And I imagine it was like the Lion King. I imagine that he, that he held the baby up when he was saying these things. Maybe he didn't. Maybe he took the child and gently cradled it next to him putting his head upon his shoulder. I don't know exactly what it looked like, but I do know that when he saw the child, it's, he said in verse 29, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. I'm done. Here it is. My life's work. I have faithfully waited for what the Lord had to say. I followed what the Spirit of God told me, and now I've completed it, and I can go in peace. He is satisfied. How would you like to have peace at the end of your life instead of regret? How would you like to have satisfaction instead of remorse? How would you like to have joy instead of a dark cloud covering your last days? Simeon had those things. He most certainly did. He said, Lord, I'm ready to go. It never, it never ceases to amaze me how people, when they get to the end of their life, especially those that have been strong in the faith, and it's different for everybody, and not everybody gets the most peaceful passing, but I, I've been probably by an unusually large number of bedsides when people pass, and the grace that God gives to his people when they pass over is something that still amazes me. I've talked to people, and they say, I'm ready. I'm ready. And I'm like, I'm not. <laughs> what are you doing? Not that I don't know where I'm going, not that I'm worried that I'm not going to make it, because it's not about me, it's about the Lord Jesus Christ. God would have to fail for one of his children not to make it to heaven. And there's much greater chance of the world unraveling than God failing. So you have nothing to worry about. But when I hear, when I see somebody given that kind of grace where they're like, I'm done, I'm happy. Now, did Simeon live a perfect life? No. Because there's only one person in this story that was perfect, and it's not Simeon. It was the sinless son of God. It was the Lord Jesus. But he had lived a life where he had gotten to this place where he was ready. And he had peace. He had purpose and he had peace in his life. He said, my eyes have seen thy salvation in verse 30. You know what he saw? It was a child. God's salvation was a child. One of the things 
that I think is the most important that I'd ever heard preached from this pulpit when I was a, a person who didn't know what I believed about God and was unsure was that salvation was a person. Not a religion, not a list of things to do and not do, not a club just to belong to, but a person. A person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, perhaps you've had somebody talk to you about the plan of salvation, and you've heard the term about the plan of salvation. We got something so much greater than a plan. There was a plan, no doubt. God knew exactly what he was doing, but we were given a person. And when he saw God's salvation, when he saw who it was that was going to make the difference between heaven and hell, between eternal life and eternal death, he recognized this is God's salvation. Who provided it? God did. Was it mankind's solution? No. Mankind, if you ever wonder why there's so much religion out there, <clears throat> and you wonder how can it be that only one of these is true? How can it, where did all these other religions come from? Why, why are they here? How, how can you make the claim that one is true and one is false? There's plenty of religions which are man's attempt to get back with God. We recognize that we've done something wrong and we need to try and do something about that. And those that come up with religions, they keep making sacrifices or they keep trying to make codes and ethics to follow and deny themselves so that they might make up for whatever it is that they've done wrong, even though they don't completely understand it. You can even find this among people that have been uncontacted by the Western world or Eastern world, tribes in the jungle, nomadic people in the deserts. They still come up with their own religions where they're trying to make up for something that was done wrong. They know that they're without excuse. They know that they've sinned against something. They know that they're not what they're supposed to be. Praise God, we know the answer to this story. But all of those other attempts end up with all of these religions. And I know that it would be a nice story to say that all of these roads lead to God and all of these are, uh, efforts are the same as long as you're sincere but that's not the case because God's salvation is in one person. There is one man, only one name given under heaven, given among men, under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this, this young child that he takes up in his arms and cries out, this is God's salvation, is our salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people. The Bible talks about the fullness of time. You ever seen a plan come together? Don't you like it when a plan comes together? Look in, look in Galatians chapter 4, would you? Galatians chapter 4. In verse number 4. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. The fullness of time. God brought all of these things to pass in this moment, in this place, in this way, so that Mary and Joseph could be where they needed to be, Simeon could be where he needed to be, the shepherds could be where they needed to be, the angels were told where they needed to be, and they were. In a, in a short time after this, those bringing gifts, the, the wise men, the magi would be where they needed to be. All of these things 
would fall into place. Not only that, but God would send Jesus at a time when there was great peace in the Roman provinces so that the, the news of him could be spread abroad. It would come in a time when there were roads built by Rome so that travel could come in a national language was there in the, the language of the Greeks which ruled over the culture and the art scene for so long that the language stuck around even after the Romans took over. God put all of these things in place so that the Messiah would be born in just the right place and that news of him and his salvation would go forth. And he recognized that God was doing a perfect work. And you can't rush perfection. And in the fullness of time, the Lord Jesus Christ came. And he says back in Luke chapter 2, in verse number 32, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. He said, it's something you've prepared before the face of all people. Everyone will know who he is. Everyone will be able to say, there's something different about him. And his message would go forth in power. Not just for the Jewish people. By the way, he was a Jewish savior, wasn't he? He was made under the law. He fulfilled the law. By the way, the only person that ever fulfilled the whole law was Jesus Christ. He was the only one who ever did it. You know what the law does for the rest of us? It tells us we need a Savior. Jesus was able to, to do that and earn his way. You and I, we can't earn our way. We can't earn our way. You say, but I'm so much better than other people. Well, you might be. You might be, but are you perfect? I am most certainly not. My wife's in junior church, but she would hear about it if I said that I was perfect. Also, my, my in-laws and my parents are here today, so I definitely would not get away with any of that. I am most assuredly not perfect. What does that mean, that I have fallen short? I have fallen short, and I need a Savior. This is what Simeon found in the Christ child. As we take this thought and we draw some applications from it, as we begin to wrap things up, here's, here's three things I want you to take note of. First of all, be spiritually aware. Be spiritually aware. Simeon was led by the Spirit of God. God revealed things to him. He, he guided him. And I don't want to paint a picture that you are going to hear voices from heaven, that you're going to be visited by angels all the time, that you're going to, to find unusual signs, that you're going to have, have mysterious messages left for you written on the wall. But have you ever heard from God? Have you ever heard from God? Whether it was the still small voice of him speaking to you by his spirit that lives within you. By the way, we have such a better arrangement with the spirit of God than the people in the Old Testament did. You know how we talked about how Simeon had the spirit of God come upon him? In the Old Testament... That spirit, the third person of the Trinity, God himself would come on people for a time, but then would leave again. In fact, you could sin so grievously that the spirit would say, I'm, I'm out, I'm leaving. But you and I are sealed until the day of redemption by the spirit of God. He has lived, chosen to live inside of us and will never leave us nor forsake us. And so we have a greater gift than even what those in the Old Testament have because the Spirit of God is in every believer. If you, by faith, have ever called on Christ as your Savior, if you believe that he died for you, was buried and rose from the grave, then the Spirit of God lives inside of you. But have you ever heard him say anything to you? Have you ever heard him say anything to you? 
Sometimes we have to allow things to get quiet enough to hear from him. We have to get quiet enough because the world is busy. I was a um, personal assistant, right? Because we don't use the term manservant anymore. anymore. But I was the personal assistant. We, and, you know, secretary, perhaps I don't like that term. Uh, to, to Dr. Sexton, when he was pastored down in Temple Baptist Church, when I was serving down there for about 18 months, he was recovering from, I think, his 10th reconstructive spine surgery. And he had to get around places. And so I would drive him so he wouldn't have to worry about driving. He could just sleep after he got done preaching. And he always wanted to be home in his own bed. So we never stayed over anywhere. We always drove back. And do you know what? He did not listen to the radio. And so if we weren't talking or he wasn't on the phone, it was absolutely silent. He grew up in a, in a home where you didn't eat, or excuse me, you didn't speak during eating. I don't know, anybody have that same thing where you grew up at the dinner table and no one was allowed to talk? Anybody have that? You just keep, especially if you were a kid and you kept quiet? Nobody talked, you just, you ate, and then when you were done eating, you spoke. He, that, he grew up like that, so, so we'd stop to eat. Absolutely quiet. It was awkward. You know what I realized? I'm not very comfortable with silence. Because the world is so loud. The, the old saints of yesteryear used to practice certain uh, disciplines, they call them, spiritual disciplines. And some of them were called silence and solitude. Being alone and being quiet so that you could hear God speak. Is there any room in our lives today for that? I can tell you right now, you won't have any room like that unless you make it. Because the world is loud. And the world is pressing. And the fear of missing out makes us feel like we have to be connected all the time to everything that's going on. You ever find yourself reaching for your phone? in every down moment that you have. Got to get caught up, got to check the email, got to look at the news, got to check the score. You ever find yourself like that? I think that this has been more detrimental to our souls than anybody realizes. It has to mine. I have to like leave it places. Do you ever leave your phone at home unintentionally and the whole day you were just on edge? Some of you, you you're like, I loved it. <laughs> I love not having my phone. Nobody could get a hold of me. But the world that we live in today, if we don't take time to get quiet before God, we ought not be surprised when we say, I've never heard his voice. I don't know what he wants from me. Have you ever spent time, even when we pray, do you do all the talking when you pray? Now, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I talk and then... God talks, and then I talk, and then God talks, and I talk. I'm not, I'm not saying that that's, that's what, but I do stop long enough for him to guide my, my spirit, for him to tell me, perhaps through his word, what it is he's putting his finger on. I want you to know, what we do here, if you're not a church person, we're, we're not here as part of a club. We're not here as part of a, an ideology or a philosophy. We are people who have entered into a relationship with the true and living God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And God wants to speak to you. 
Uh, can you imagine if Simeon wasn't listening the morning that God told him go into the temple? His whole life's purpose was trying to follow after what God wanted him to do to be in the right place so that he would meet the Savior. You may have to give something up in your life to create this kind of space. You really may have to give something up. I don't know what it is. It may be a hobby. It may be a habit. But this is vital for our souls. How many of you, when I kept pausing, were uncomfortable with the silence? Some of you that were looking down just looked up. You're like, well, how long is he going to do this? <laughs> Be spiritually aware. Second of all, find peace in God's purpose for your life. Find peace in God's purpose for your life. Simeon could live and eventually die in peace. Why? How? Because he followed God's purpose for his life. He followed God's purpose for his life. You can have peace. You really can. Not because everything in your life is going to be smooth, because it won't be. Not because your problems will disappear. Not because your relationships will all be mended and you won't have any more problems with any more people. You can have peace because you can know that you're doing the right thing with your life. Now, saying that to do the right thing with your life, that is very vague. Anybody else think that's kind of vague? Well, what was, what was Simeon? He was just and he was devout. He did those things that pleased the Lord... And he had the right kind of attitude towards God. He did those things that pleased the Lord, and he had the right kind of attitude towards God. So if we do those things, and we do them on a daily basis, that's a little more manageable. I can have peace with God today because I do the things he's asked of me. I can have peace with God today, and then tomorrow will take care of itself. I'll try and have peace from God tomorrow as well. God gives us such peace. We'll talk about that next Sunday. What does God want for you? What does God want for you? How do you know what his will is? How do you know what his will is? Well, what has he given you? If you know him as Savior, if there was a time when by faith you've asked him to forgive your sins, then he wants you to be with him. He wants you to spend time with him. He wants you to walk before him in a way that pleases him. That's one of the things that he wants. Has he called you to be a wife? Or a husband, a father, a mother, a son, a daughter, a sibling, a grandparent, a grandchild? Has he, has he given you these people, these relationships, and these roles in your life? Then how can you live out that role in a way that would please God? If you can do that, you'll find yourself able to put your head on your pillow at the end of the day saying, that was good. You'll be able to find yourself having peace. Because you did it perfectly? No, but you tried. And that's what God asks of us. And his power to do the best we can with what we're given. Are you called to be a church member? A student? An employee? A citizen? Of this state? Of this country? Then if so, how do we do those things in a way that pleases the Lord? And some of these things are unique for each of us. But I want you to know that you don't have to worry about having missed the will of God because the will of God is a daily matter. What 
can I do to please God today? I've met people that said, I messed up. I messed up. I was supposed to do this with my life. I know what I was supposed to do. And because I, I ruined it, now I'm, I'm going to be out of God's will for the rest of my life. Do you think that God isn't prepared for us to make a mess of things? I mean, he knows us. He remembers our frame that we're but dust. He took into account all of those things. And not even my failures can ruin God's work. His plan. Find peace in God's purpose for your life. Lastly, speak about the Savior. Speak about the Savior. When Simeon saw the Savior, he couldn't keep quiet. In fact, he snatched a baby out of somebody's arms that he didn't even know. I'm not saying you should go and do that, by the way. I don't want to get any phone calls from the North Olmstead Police Department saying, your, your people from church said that you said it was okay to take babies. That is not okay. He took the baby from Mary's arms and started praising God. This Christmas season, I want you to talk up Jesus. I want you to speak about God's goodness as often as you can. Find opportunities at home, among your family. Perhaps if you don't have family at home, uh, about with your neighbors, extended family, people you can call on the phone, write a letter, put it in your Christmas card if you send out Christmas cards, phone call, find some opportunity. If it's at the doctor's office, find some opportunity to talk about the goodness of God. Has he been good? Most assuredly, he has been good. Has he blessed you? Do you have something to be thankful for? Well, then say something. You know that see something, say something slogan that they have around the airport and other places? If God has done something, if you've seen his hand of blessing in your life, say something. Speak up. I bet that not everybody, in my, in my first thinking, again, just like the pram and the Lion King, um, in my first thinking, everything stops in the temple when Jesus is held up by this man. That's what I imagine everything happens. Everything stops and everyone looks and everyone's like, wow, he's talking about the Messiah. You know what? I bet that actually didn't happen. I don't know. But I, people were coming and going and jostling and they're bringing in their lamb and they're bringing in their turtle doves and they're going to exchange their money so that they can have the right animals for the sacrifice and somebody's singing and, and other people are praying and there's all sorts of different courts and locations and people trying to find out where they're supposed to be. I bet you it was hectic. I bet you it was very hectic. It was a very busy place. I don't know that everybody saw, but he did. He saw. In the chaos of all that was going around him, he saw the Lord. And he said something about it. Insert the goodness of God into every conversation you can. Have a note of victory in your speech. People need hope. People need hope. Where are they going to find it? Where are they going to find it? They're going to find it in the Lord. That's right. Are they going to find it in all of the vitriol and division and all of the hatred that we find when people yell at each other online, is that where they're going to find it? Are they going to find it in the comments? Don't read the comments. No, they're not going to find it there. Are they going to find it in, in Washington, D.C.? Are they going to find it in the change of circumstance in their life or a, a bigger paycheck? Is that where they're going to find their hope? In the grocery store? <laughs> when they go to check out and things are that much more expensive? Where are they going to find hope? They need to know 
that there is a Savior. They need to know that their life can have purpose, that they don't have to drift from thing to thing. They can find it in Jesus, like Simeon did, and truly have peace. Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace, according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes for a moment? I want to thank you for your good attention this morning. When we come together and we gather in this place, we have what we call a time of invitation where we invite you to, to act on what it is that God has spoken to you about. And I don't know what he's spoken to you about. Uh, maybe, maybe the Lord has impressed upon you somebody that needs some hope. Somebody who perhaps is going through great hardship, great disappointment, maybe even physical suffering, loss. And they need someone to speak about a Savior. Someone who can give them real hope. Hope of change. Hope for a better tomorrow. And for that great bright morning that awaits us all. Bring that person before the Lord. Pray that God would give you the opportunity this week to speak to them. Maybe it's more than one person. Maybe the Lord has spoken to you about how busy your life is and how little time you've left to hear from God. Maybe you say, I've never even really heard from God before. I've never had an experience with God. You may even say, I know that I'm a believer. I've asked Jesus to forgive my sins. Uh, I, you may even be a faithful member of this church or some other church. But you say, I don't know that I've ever heard the Lord. I hear people talk about, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go pray about it. And I think to myself, what are they praying about? Praying is just one way, isn't it? Praying is just talking and hearing nothing back. That's only true if we never stop to listen. Maybe God's got your attention and you just carve some time out so that you can sit before the Lord and hear his voice. <clears throat> Maybe it's about finding your purpose. Maybe you're like my friend who got back from the military without a mission, got back without a purpose, and he drifted from thing to thing, never finding satisfaction. Maybe that's where you find yourself. Maybe you feel like that pinball that's just hit and bounced around, and you don't even know what's coming next. Friend, life is precious. Don't waste it. Don't waste it with having no purpose. Don't waste it with having the wrong purpose. Whatever it is that God's spoken to you about, maybe you don't know him as Savior, and today you'd like to get that settled. In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing. I'm going to invite Pastor Steve to be down here in front while I make ready to baptize. And if you don't know Christ as Savior, just slip out of your seat and let him know and say, Pastor, I'm not sure that I'm saved. And someone will take you aside, a gentleman with a gentleman, a lady with a lady, take you aside privately and show you from God's word how you can know without a shadow of a doubt that heaven is your home. Whatever it is, let's say yes to the Lord. Father, take this time. Be glorified in it, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together as we sing.